0: today is the day American Patriots start taking down names and kicking ass. Now our ancestors sacrificed their blood, their sweat, their tears, their fortunes,
1: and sometimes their lives to give us their descendants an America that is the greatest nation in world history. So I have a question for you. Are you willing to do the same my answer is yes louder are
0: you willing to do what it takes to fight for america louder will you fight for america
2: That was Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks firing up the crowd at last Wednesday's Save America rally, moments before thousands of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol breaking down doors and smashing windows as part of an effort to disrupt the constitutional process of certifying the election of Joe Biden as president. Until now, most of the attention, for good reason, has been focused on the conduct of President Trump and his own demands that the crowd fight to stop the election process. But Brooks's remarks are a reminder that many others enabled and encouraged the crowd to commit mayhem last week, leading to the deaths of five people, including a police officer. We'll talk to New Jersey Democratic Congressman Tom Malinowski on why, in addition to impeaching President Trump, he wants the House to formally censure Brooks, and perhaps others, over last week's riot. And then we'll talk to former FBI counterintelligence chief Frank Figluzzi on what American law enforcement needs to do right now to thwart what appears to be a still active insurrection. All that on this episode of Skullduggery. I'm Michael Isikoff, chief investigative correspondent for Yahoo News, and I'm Dan Clydeman, editor in chief of Yahoo News. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people I have spoken to, both on the Hill and you know in Washington, in recent days, who are still so spooked about what happened at uh, last Wednesday's riot and worried about what could still happen with uh, next week's inauguration and uh, thousands of emboldened Trump supporters who may yet return to the Capitol. So this is still a very frail, tense, ongoing situation that uh, we've all got to worry about. But I just wanted to start out by just reminding folks of just the level of lunacy we're in. This all began because of Trump's completely groundless claims about election fraud. And there was a story in the Wall Street Journal Sunday night about how the U.S. attorney in Atlanta, Beyond Pack, somebody appointed by Trump himself was fired because Trump was furious that he wasn't investigating these completely baseless claims of election fraud. And a senior Justice Department official calls him after that phone call with Raffensberger and basically demands that PAC step down. But the part that really grabbed me in the story was all the way down When they make the point that the FBI in Atlanta looked at these allegations of fraud and didn't see anything that rose to the level that they needed to investigate. So not only did no federal judge, did no state judge find the evidence that Trump and his allies and lawyers were bringing forward, the FBI didn't even see grounds to launch an investigation. And yet these claims of fraud is what led to this riot and the deaths of five people. It is mind boggling.
0: You know, this is exactly why the so-called deep state represented such a threat to Donald Trump, because as we can see since the election up through this terrible period of political violence, Donald Trump relies on the big lie. And if you have FBI agents and people in the intelligence community and judges and honest journalists, you know, putting the truth out there. And pushing back against the conspiracy theories and sticking to norms of our society and our politics, then it's harder for Donald Trump to perpetrate the big lie. Timothy Snyder, the historian, uh, writing in the New York Times Magazine um, this week, talked about this period as post-truth and pre-fascism. And the question that that keeps coming up in this really kind of perilous moment is whether we are really at a new kind of inflection point, a transitional period that will be represented by this inauguration and a new administration coming in. Is this the death rattle of this appalling period in our history, a period of division and hatred and contempt for the Constitution by the President of the United States and his and his uh, acolytes? Or, you know, are, are we in for... A long period of time when those dark forces represented by Trump are still going to be out there and, and you know, th- and we're going to have to be dealing with. And I think we just don't know the answer to that.
2: Right, right. And, but, you know, look, I mean, one can be absolutely appalled and furious about what happened. It does beg the question about this whole impeachment process that the House appears to be initiating starting today. And whether it's a wise, smart move for the Democrats, it's not clear to me that how many Republicans are willing to go along at this point. So if this remains largely a partisan impeachment, that's problematic. Then there's the question of a Senate trial. When does the Senate trial take place? If it happens right away, that's going to be a huge distraction for uh, the Senate which and the Biden administration they won't, they need they need their nominees to be confirmed as rapidly as possible you, they need to get their people in key national security agencies and the justice department and also to be focused on the pandemic and the thousands of people who are still dying every day.
0: It is it is a conundrum uh, for Democrats. I get that. But on the other side of it is the question of accountability is the question of the need for some kind of a reckoning is that is the question of saying, you know, this cannot stand and we have to take action and we have to show that this kind of conduct is not acceptable. Problem is, you know, a couple of generations ago during Watergate, for example, you had, you know, Hugh Scott and Barry Goldwater and a bunch of other Republicans who were willing to go to the president and tell him he had to step down. We don't really have that anymore. No, we got a president
2: whose plans to go to the Alamo this week, according to some reports. Going to the Alamo, not going to to the inauguration. Yeah. Yeah. not going to the inauguration. Anyway, look, we got uh, lots to talk about and two good guests. So let's get right to it. Now joining us from the House Rayburn cafeteria, having just gotten his second COVID shot, Congressman Tom Malinowski of New Jersey. Uh, Congressman, welcome back to Skullduggery.
1: Thank you so much.
2: So uh, we can see you with your mask on. I guess this is a requirement of having gotten that shot. Um, But this is a pretty momentous day. What's going to happen today in the House?
1: Today in the House, we will be introducing an impeachment resolution against President Trump, a simple, straightforward resolution charging him with fomenting an insurrection last Wednesday when the House was at when the both Houses of Congress were attacked. And
2: will there be be debate and a quick vote? How does this play out over uh, the next few days?
1: Not today. So the other thing we're doing today is we will be offering a resolution that invokes the 25th Amendment to the Constitution under the 25th Amendment, which, of course, allows a president to be removed for being unable to carry out the duties of the office. Congress can start that process by creating a high level group or commission to work with the vice president to make that determination. So we will be offering that today, asking for unanimous consent. If a member objects, which I expect somebody will, then we will vote on that resolution tomorrow, Tuesday. Thereafter, we will take up the impeachment resolution, which will not go through. The regular process of investigation and debate in the House Judiciary Committee. It'll go to the floor. If, if we do it, it'll go straight to the floor. And
0: Congressman, the, I think the expectation is that the uh, 25th Amendment process, that that likely will not go forward. You're not going to have uh, the vice president sign on to that or majority of the cabinet. But on the impeachment resolution over the weekend, Congressman Clyburn of uh, South Carolina said that he believes that once uh, an impeachment resolution is passed in the House that it will be held back and likely not sent to the Senate so that the Biden administration can have its first hundred days or so and try to get some traction with its agenda. Do you do you think that's right? Is that something that will happen or not happen as <laughs> is the case?
1: That's that's not a decision that we've made just yet. It's of course one of several options. The important thing that we are absolutely united on and determined to do is our job in the House of Representatives, and that is to determine whether the president should be removed. I say yes. I'm quite confident a a majority of members will say yes. What happens after that is, well, it will be in the hands of the Senate one way or another. How many Republican votes do you think you can get in the House? I, I can't tell you that right now. I know there are Republicans who in their usual quiet way, have told us that they believe the president should be removed from office. Many of them are furious. Many of them are frightened. Whether they vote for it or not remains to be seen.
2: You know, I I think that there is a consensus that what happened on Wednesday was horrific, that the president was certainly responsible to a large degree for what happened, But, and I'm hearing this from, I've heard this all weekend from Democratic activists and others who are really questioning whether this is a smart move. Trump's got nine days left in office. There's no prospect of a Senate trial before January 20. So you either trigger a process that distracts the country as soon as Joe Biden takes office. He's got appointees. He needs to get confirmed, get his People into key positions. There's a raging pandemic. People need pandemic relief. And if we if the country is distracted with a prolonged impeachment, it's going to further divide the country and it's not going and it's going to distract from doing the people's business. What do you say to that?
1: You know, the president of the United States incited a violent attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the Congress of the United States from doing its job. That's never happened in the history of the United States. I'd call that a distraction. I would call that divisive. And I'm absolutely, I have zero tolerance for people who argue that it is now on me to heal and unite the country by ignoring what just happened. And I don't know who you've been speaking to in the Democratic Party, Michael, but the anger and passion that I've just expressed to you is shared universally by the members who were in that room, who were perhaps minutes away from being seized by that mob. This is not something that we move on from because we've got to take up an infrastructure bill next week. We were not going to an do infrastructure those those bill.
2: Things. You got a raging pandemic. People are hurting. Uh, they that's need right, pandemic Michael. relief will, immediately. And, we will, and they will um, get You pandemic need to get relief. key appointees into mm-hmm. the Pentagon, to the Justice Department mm-hmm. to make decisions. That's not an infrastructure week, that's pressing national business that needs to be
1: conducted. Thank you. And actually, infrastructure is pressing national business, too. And so it's COVID relief. And that's all going to happen very, very quickly. There's absolutely no contradiction here between the Senate of the United States doing its job and passing the legislation that we send over to help people now. We have a majority for all those things right now in the United States Senate. No contradiction between that and also ensuring that this country remains a country of laws. The only people who are telling you that one of those things cancels out the other are people who do not want to do one of those things, and they want, to change, they want to change the subject. And by the way, just to beat this dead horse, I don't have a view on when a trial should be held in the Senate. If we impeach him, it'll happen at some point. But this is not an involved process. This is a very simple article that focuses on the president's role on Wednesday in inciting an armed mob that consisted, in many cases, of members of domestic terrorist groups to march on the Capitol and to seize it. This is very simple. The, the evidentiary basis for this is, is plain. It's, <laughs> we know what he did. We know what he said. That can be presented in two hours. Congressman and can decide, is that impeachable or not?
0: There is one alternative uh, that some, including David Kendall, who was President Clinton's lawyer during his impeachment, so he knows a great deal about the impeachment process, but have suggested as an alternative, which may have the virtue of getting kind of bipartisan support that an impeachment would not likely get, and that is a censure. It may be weaker, uh, maybe more symbolic, but at least it would have the virtue of having, you know, democrats and a lot of republicans supporting it and getting it on the record without some of the kinds of distractions that Mike talked about. Would that be acceptable to you and if not why not?
1: So, a couple of things. First of all, I'm I'm going to push back with all of the passion I can muster against the use of the word distraction. I'm not going to allow you to ask me a question with the word distraction in it without very strong pushback. Defending the rule of law in this country, preventing the President of the United States from staging an armed attack on the legislative branch is not a distraction. It is our most important constitutional duty right now. The question is, what is the right way to do it? I'm open to all kinds of ways of doing it. And we have, as you well know, Republicans running around this place saying, oh my gosh, that was bad. Of course, the President did the wrong thing, but we don't want to peach him So my answer to that is, if you want to do something different, if you want to censure him instead of impeaching him, then have the guts to put forward a censure resolution. That's not on me. I believe the right approach is impeachment. If you, as a Republican member, I don't mean you personally, right, but if a Republican member believes that we should censure him instead, then get on the floor of the House today and introduce that resolution.
0: Any suggestion that that might happen? Have you you heard of any Republicans who are talking about that? No.
1: No, I've certainly heard of Republicans. I know of Republicans who are coming to us privately and saying, you guys should do it. We have Republicans coming to us privately with lists of their own colleagues who they believe we should censure. But it's on us because they're scared. And they're not just scared. They're not just scared of the politics. They are physically frightened right now.
2: Let's talk about your colleagues, because it wasn't just President Trump who incited that mob. There were others, including one of your Republican colleagues, and I understand you want to take action today on that as well. Tell us
1: about it. That's Well, there's at least some evidence implicating a number of my Republican colleagues in the House in the events leading up to and including the attack on Wednesday. Perhaps the most clear example is that of Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama, who addressed the mob in front of the White House on Wednesday morning, knowing full well what it was was composed of. He proceeded to lambast his fellow Republicans in Congress, who, in his view, were traitors to the president. And then he said to this crowd, it is time that patriots in this country start taking down names and kicking ass, whereupon that crowd that he was addressing marched on the Capitol to try to kill his fellow members of Congress. So today I'll be introducing with other members a a censure resolution against Brooks. to begin with. That's a a very blatant, obvious case. Uh, I, I think there will be investigations. I'm hoping that the Ethics Committee will also... Look into some of the other members who may very well have colluded with these groups, where it's less obvious, then of course we have to take care to make sure that those investigations are done with full due process before we take action. But I'm in no mood to move on. When you have if you have members of Congress who incited a mob against their fellow members of Congress, we're going to get to the bottom of that and we're going to make sure that they feel the stigma that they deserve.
0: If they did that, and if it can be proven, do you think it rises to the level of expulsion under Article One, Section 5 of the Constitution?
1: It could, yes. That's not a decision we can make in a day or two, because that is a, that is the ultimate sanction. I think censure in the case of someone like uh, Mo Brooks is very easy, because you know we've got the videotape, we know exactly what he said, we know who he said it to, and we know what his audience then did. So... And, you know, the sanction there is he has to stand in the well of the House and listen to the resolution that we hopefully will adopt be bred to him. So it's just a, it's a scarlet letter. It's not expulsion.
2: You but said before some of your colleagues are physically afraid. Explain
1: that. There is an active insurrection right now by a very, perhaps loosely organized, but large movement of Americans that is targeting people whom they believe to be traitors to President Trump. This mob was outside of the Capitol building chanting, hang Mike Pence. They are, if anything, more angry right now at Republicans who they perceive to be traitors to their side than they are at Democrats. Republican members have expressed concern for their personal safety and for the safety of their families. Home. And we've had Republican members confide their vote to not certify the election was influenced by their concern for their personal safety. So this is not just a fear of being primaried by some pro Trump candidate. This has gone much beyond that.
0: We actually had uh, Nancy Mace, a new Republican congresswoman from South Carolina, on the podcast last week who said a constituent drove up to Washington, found her on the street and accosted her because of how she was voting, that she would not support overturning the election. What should be done about that? What kinds of enhanced security measures are necessary? How do we protect our elected officials
1: in Congress? I'm obviously very concerned about that. We have our leaders here who have their own personal security details. We don't have details for all 535 members of Congress. There were a number of members who were accosted on flights back home to their district after the events uh, of Wednesday. So there's now some enhanced security at airports when, you know, we, I I don't fly personally, but those who do can notify the authorities when they're going to and from an airport. But in members' homes, we're pretty much on our own. If there is a specific threat, then we can request protection from our state police agencies, from, of course, the Capitol Police when we're in Washington, D.C. But there is a generalized threat right there. It's not, it's not necessarily specific. It, it, can, it can affect any one of us. And, and look, my, my attitude is I'm here to do a job, and it makes me even more determined to do it. I am not, as I mentioned before, I'm not interested in playing defense as much as I am in playing offense, but it is absolutely weighing on the minds of many of my fellow members.
2: Congressman, I'm looking at a small item in the Washington Post uh, this morning. Two officers in the Rocky Mountain, Virginia, Police Department were suspended after it it turned out that they attended the event. Uh, You tweeted something about concerns you had that National Guard members were uh, sympathizers with the rioters and even questioning whether this was actually a staged event by Antifa or Deep State Democrats. How concerned are you that um, there are people in our military and our law enforcement that are actually part of this insurrection or sympathetic to it?
1: The overwhelming majority of people who serve in law enforcement in this country and in our military are patriotic Americans who are going to do their duty and who I'm sure are absolutely disgusted by what is going on. But there's also no question that there are individuals who may be taken in by these conspiracy theories and who may be sympathetic to the insurrectionists. We're going to have to do a deep investigation of what happened with the Capitol Police, obviously, on Wednesday. And that's one of the questions we will look at. I'm not prejudging it, but it's something we have to look at. There have been reports for years about white supremacists recruiting themselves, in in a sense, self-recruiting, to join the military as a way of getting training which they then can use as part of these militia groups that they join after they leave so that's a concern and i know that the defense department is concerned about troops who may be taking part in uh, securing the inaugural activities this coming weekend and you know our understanding is that there will be enhanced vetting for military members who are going to get anywhere near the Congress or the president during those days. So it's sad that we even have to have that conversation.
0: Congressman, and we're running out of time here, but you have been very involved in this uh, extremely challenging, challenging issue of disinformation and conspiracy theories and QAnon. And we know there is a... You should um, point
2: out he was targeted in ads that right. were clearly designed to appeal to QAnon. Right. Um,
0: and, and and it's the appealing part that I want to get at quickly. We obviously have focused very much on the sort of supply side problem here. But to you, you know, use the metaphor that we used to use in the drug war, there is a huge demand side. There is a huge demand side problem where millions and millions of people seem vulnerable to these kinds of conspiracy theories because of their distrust in everything going on in this country or or in the world. This is a subject for a longer conversation, but just before we let you go, what do you think President Biden and other elected leaders should be focused on right now to deal with that very profound problem of people who are susceptible to these kinds of disinformation, lies, conspiracy theories that can, as we now know, lead to violence and terrible action.
1: That is a longer conversation because, of course, there is something in the human personality that makes all of us susceptible to fantasies and conspiracy theories, to, to the, the tantalizing idea that there is something hidden, a secret that has been hidden from everyone else, but we, we alone have been given the great privilege and burden of knowing that secret and that we have been called individually to save humanity from some terrible threat that we, we alone know about, right? It's, it's the subject of almost every Hollywood action movie when you think about it. What can Biden do? Well, you know, going back to what you were pressing me on at the beginning of our conversation, he does and we absolutely do need to deliver early on on issues like fighting COVID, on rebuilding the economy, and I think we'll be successful. I think we're primed. You know, I just got this shot in the arm here in, in the doctor's office. Uh, the whole economy is going to get a shot in the arm once vaccination rate is uh, is high enough. And and I think the second half of this year and next year are going to be boom years for Americans. We're going to be creating jobs hopefully with added infusions of support for infrastructure and for green energy and all of these things that Biden has talked about. That's important, not just because of the intrinsic benefits of those programs, but because it'll show Americans that government is actually functioning, it's working. You know, we're not gridlocked in the way that we were before. That's why getting the Senate majority was so important for, for Democrats. So that's the positive side. The other piece of this is the supply piece. And, you know, there's going to be a reckoning with social media. There should have been a long time ago. It was beginning, but I think at this point, we are absolutely going to need to have a difficult conversation with Facebook about much more far-reaching changes to the way in which they present and sort information on their website or face very serious regulation.
2: Congressman, I want to thank you uh, for joining us. It's going to be quite a uh, week, uh, and we will be uh, checking in. But good luck and stay safe <laughs> there. Thank
1: in, you, guys. In our capital. Always good to talk to you.
2: Okay, we now have with us Frank Frigluzzi former chief of counterintelligence for the FBI, veteran FBI agent, and now a uh, widely seen analyst on NBC, MSNBC and elsewhere. Frank, welcome back
3: to Skullduggery. Uh, Thank you, sir. I wish I weren't uh, needed as widely seen right now. It means bad things are happening.
2: Yeah, well, on that note, uh, we just had uh, Congressman Tom Malinowski of New Jersey on who said there's an active
3: insurrection
2: right now going on in our country. Is that the way it
3: looks to you? Yes, it does. Yep. That, this is not a one-off. The incident at the Capitol, the insurrection at the Capitol, is only emboldening those amongst us who think that they are somehow going to wrest control from legitimate government and, and take over. And you need only look at what's going on on social media and public and private postings by the most extreme and violent folks and individuals to see they don't think this is over. They think this is ongoing.
2: Let me just follow up on that, because it was clear to a lot of people that this stuff, that there were people all over social media for weeks talking about marching on the Capitol, bringing guns and doing violence. This looks to a lot of us, as a massive intelligence failure. Where was the FBI? Where was Homeland Security? Why weren't these social media, these alarming social media postings being processed and gotten to the people who could have protected the Capitol last Wednesday?
3: These are solid questions that need very thorough answers. So uh, yesterday I was on TV as news broke from NBC that the FBI now has disclosed that they shared their intelligence and concerns with the Capitol Police and the Washington Metropolitan Police. NBC also broke the news that NYPD's intelligence unit shared similar concerns with the Capitol Police, and yet we saw the posture taken or no posture taken by the Capitol Police. But this gets us to a much larger uh, discussion, which we may or may not have time for, which is around the issue of how the American people want their federal law enforcement to handle domestic terror. So I, I remind everyone that I can talk to that we don't still don't have a law that makes domestic terrorism illegal. Uh, there's another report, there's, there's in the same NBC report, we learned a second takeaway. And that is that the FBI has disclosed that they actually had over, quote, over a dozen predicated investigative subjects. That means people under active investigation that they approached and did what my sources call a knock and talk. Now, now while the NBC report calls it a visit in which the FBI urged their subjects not to travel, I can tell you what a knock and talk looks like from my experience, which is understand something terrorist, you are under investigation, we're on to you, we're watching you, and you're this close to getting arrested. We don't have the probable cause yet, but if you get on a bus, plane, train, or car and head to the District of Columbia, that may be the probable cause we need to put you in handcuffs. Is there anything about this that you don't understand? And what my sources tell me, what NBC News has confirmed, is that that prevented the baddest of the bad the organizers from getting to the capital, And it would have actually been much worse if those leaders had been able to execute their plan. So what would they be charged with? Yeah, I, I love this question because it points out the disparity in how we treat different groups. We've got an international terrorism law. So if you make these rioters Muslims and you claim they have an ideology that's political or social, like jihad or uh, establishing a caliphate, Guess what? They get arrested for international terrorism, material support to terrorism, and they go to prison for twenty to thirty years. With regard to to these domestic terrorists, and by the way, there is no law for domestic terrorism. They get stuck with the substantive underlying charge: travel to incite violence, possession of an illegal weapon, trespass in a federal building. Okay, so. My, my soapbox that I've been on for quite some time and written columns about is that we've got to take the wall down between domestic and international terrorism. Terrorism is terrorism if it threatens our democracy.
2: The reluctance on that score has always come chiefly for, uh, for on the civil liberties front. When you're talking about American citizens who have the right of free speech, who have the right to assemble, investigating, you pick up, you see inflammatory comments on social media. They could be interpreted as calls for violence. They could be interpreted as calls for political action. Can the FBI target individuals based on social media, free expression of political views? How do you draw the line? And you know, because the FBI has, over the years, had lots of controversies in which they investigated domestic progressive groups, activist groups, uh, civil rights groups, and has paid paid a big price for that.
3: Michael, your questions are right on the money. This is a valid, I don't want to downplay the civil liberties and privacy concerns around domestic terrorism proposed legislation. And there has been proposed legislation. It's not getting any traction. Here's the thing. After 9-11, we did something called the Patriot Act. And yes, did it go slightly overboard? Did we find out that the government was storing metadata of your phone bills, numbers dialed, numbers received? Did Congress say wait a minute, we don't like that. Stop doing that. Yes. Is there potential exploitation politically where a bad president could say, I don't like that group of people. I would like you to please spy on them as domestic terrorists. Absolutely. But I think we need to wrestle with this and get our hands around it because it's way out ahead of us. And it can be done. To say that we can't figure this out means that we're incapable of somehow delineating between Muslims and white guys with guns. And I think think it's time we do that because the, the challenge of social media is so daunting. If you can imagine what's going on in FBI field offices right now, they are buried under an avalanche of social media where everybody's claiming they're about to do violence and they can't separate aspirants from actual bad actors from a guy on his couch eating potato chips. But right now, here's how this works. They have to literally, because there's no proactive domestic terrorism legislation. They have no investigative tools to get undercover agents, informants, or electronic monitoring on these sites because these are white Americans. And so the tools are not there and social media is burying us in in this. I'll give you a story from my background that shows the the kind of lunacy of how this works. I was involved in a case in my FBI career involving a, a known bank robber. His girlfriend came to us and said, he is going to rob a bank this week. We put him under surveillance. We saw him casing banks. The prosecutor said, you have to actually get him on the way to rob a bank in the parking lot. Okay, and that ended in a horrible shootout. So it didn't end well for him, by the way. But my point is that's where we are with domestic terrorism. We have to wait till they're on their way And it doesn't work that way for international terrorists, where we're in their chat rooms, informants, undercover agents and electronic surveillance.
0: Frank, I I want you to link this back to where we started, which was Mike referred to as the massive intelligence failure in terms of the Capitol being um, attacked, because I think this is what you're saying. It seems like in a way, because there is such an avalanche of these kinds of inflammatory comments and threats on social media it is difficult to distinguish between the bluster and threats that are real so does that really explain do you think what happened on wednesday with the lack of preparation or is it a more a much more serious uh, intelligence failure that you know that they should have acted they should have been able to prevent this
3: yeah this is this is a great question and i think as we hold hearings and demand answers this is going to be nuanced and layered and so the short answer is i think there's more going on here than a failure to recognize the threat. If the NBC reporting is accurate that the FBI said, you're going to have a problem on your hands, and NYPD said, you're going to have a problem on your hands, and nothing was done, my gut tells me this is far more than optics. You're going to hear, you're already hearing optics coming from the D.C. mayor, right? I don't want militarized people. I don't want to repeat on my city streets uh, what happened with Trump walking across the street with a Bible in his hand. I don't want that. Then I can also see, from my own experience, police saying, this looks really bad if we have guys in SWAT gear around the Capitol. You know, this is optics. But I'm going to tell you, this doesn't pass the red face test. So when, when I hear what I'm hearing from the Pentagon, maybe we didn't approve National Guard. When I'm seeing uh, Capitol Police officers push barricades aside, I say there's more to this. And I think politics entered into this.
2: Frank, I wanted you to take us inside what you expect the FBI is going through right now, because they've made a number of arrests of people who were involved in the riot. There's the guy from Alabama in the pickup truck who had uh, 11 Molotov cocktails and uh, and an assault rifle. There are others who they've arrested who have had uh, uh, restraints, uh, plastic restraints that could have been used to restrain and kidnap lawmakers. So they've got at least the basis, I would imagine, to begin a serious investigation to determine, was there a plan to do this? They could presumably be combing through, or they are right now, all the social media accounts, getting the cell phones of these people, seeing who they were in communication with, to see whether this was a largely spontaneous reaction, or was it something that was a conspiracy to attack the Capitol?
3: And if so, who was organizing it? Indeed. So a daunting task, although I hear people on social media just outraged that everybody's not in handcuffs yet. I, I am telling you, I am impressed so far with the national effort in every one of the 56 field offices to get as many people as they have, over a dozen so far, in handcuffs. And and understand the act of finding all these folks, seeking the public help, is inundating them with thousands of leads. But So a couple of thoughts. One, you're right. I see this headed toward what I call an enterprise investigation theory. So they're in a race against the clock to stop bad actors from moving toward the inauguration, right? While The dynamic and tension is while they're trying to build more serious charges and get to grand juries on who might be the leaders, but that's got a contrast with the race against the clock for the inauguration. So don't be surprised if you see people arrested on complaints, which is largely happening right now, and then superseding indictments coming from grand juries on more serious charges for the organizers of this. And remember, the knock and talks they did with over a well over a dozen pending subjects, I think if the evidence points eventually to them as planners and organizers, you'll see extremely serious charges laid on them.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Frank. First of all, do you believe that at the end of the day, we're going to see that this was a highly organized operation? And if so, what are those more serious charges that could be brought to bear? Conspiracy charges,
3: you know, what would they be? So
0: insurrection,
3: sedition, Interstate travel to commit murder is a very serious event. Let's not forget, we, we had a police, a capital police officer. His head was bashed with a fire extinguisher to the point that he is deceased. So if they can tie back who did that to actual intention, and by the way, I have seen on social media talk of injuring and killing police officers, in this mob. So if they can tie that back to part of the plan, people are potentially facing execution for that. So this will be quite serious. The challenges, the daunting challenges of buried in an avalanche of social media aspirants, weeding that out, um, getting any traction from this current administration in the next 10 days, and an acting attorney general who seems not to care less about what's happened, trying to keep Chris Ray afloat and not get fired while they're running the mo- arguably the most important investigation in the FBI's history, all of this going on simultaneously.
2: There's another question, and that is whether there are grounds to bring charges for incitement starting with the president of the United States, who, of course, you know, riled up the crowd, uh, talked about uh, marching down to uh, buck up these weak Republicans and have them fight, but never explicitly called for acts of violence. And then you also had, and we were discussing this earlier in the show, a member of Congress, Mo Brooks from Alabama, who talked about uh, taking names and kicking ass and invoked the spirit of our ancestors in 1776 who lost their lives to fight for our country but never explicitly called for violence, are there grounds, and I should also mention Rudy Giuliani, trial by combat, are there grounds to bring charges
3: for incitement? So I, I, the short answer is, I think so, but we need more evidence. What, what, the evidence you just rattled off, particularly that Rudy Giuliani comment on the day of the insurrection saying we need trial by combat, here's where I think this is going. I think you're going to see an in-depth, comprehensive investigation that will include grabbing communications of those. And, and don't be surprised if we hear later that already federal law enforcement may have slapped preservation orders on various phone carriers and Internet providers for the to freeze the records, the phone records and communication records of people like you just mentioned, maybe even people like Donald Trump Jr., So I think we're going to see an investigation into whether or not this was encouraged or directed behind the scenes by Trump family or enablers.
0: I'm sorry, Frank, I want to make sure I understand that. Are you pointing to possible evidence of contacts between, say, members of the Trump family, Rudy Giuliani and others, and the actual perpetrators of these alleged crimes, I, I'm
3: saying that it's likely that this is that this angle is going to be investigated, and my gut tells me that where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I, I, I that's that's my gut.
2: I mean, I you know, look, uh, there are really high bars for bringing charges of incitement and sedition as well, and you know you run you run into the civil liberties questions again is is trial by combat a call for violence is taking names and kicking ass a call for violence or is it you know the kind of political rhetoric we have in this country on both sides on all well, sides why,
3: that, this is why I, I i take this i take this layered approach to this you have the overt comments which we run smack into a legal problem called intent right the, the statutes require intent. You, you intended to, to result in violence and insurrection. Big problem, as you said, with rhetoric. That's why I'm saying we need to go beneath the surface. We need preservation orders now on the communications of these people, because if we see them tied to the organizers of this insurrection, that is the evidence.
2: You uh, mentioned the acting attorney general is uh, nowhere to be seen in this. That's Jeffrey Rosen, who is the deputy attorney general, became acting when Bill Barr left. Explain why you um, uh, you said that the Justice Department has been investigating this matter. They've been holding press briefings, uh, usually uh, presided over by the U.S. attorney in the district. What gives you concerns about uh, the high levels of what's left of the Trump Justice Department right now? So, uh,
3: you know, let's not forget that Attorney General Barr actually, even at his level of lack of integrity, decided it was time to jump ship. And, and what he knew and what he may have known was coming, I think, I, I think we need some answers on because leaving Rosen in charge with, by the way, zero experience in prosecution, not sure he's even ever been in front of a trial jury. No criminal experience that I'm aware of. He's in charge and he's a Trump lackey. You mentioned press briefings, but let me let me point something out that is glaring in its absence, which is if you have a kidnapping in your hometown, you're going to have press conferences every hour with the police updating you, right? If somebody blows up a bomb at the local shopping mall, Every hour, here comes the sheriff updating you. It's standard procedure. Okay, we haven't heard from this acting attorney general. We haven't seen an in-person press briefing from the FBI and the DHS. Where are they? Because, and here's, I, I take a national security look at this. I, my last column for NBC Daily came out last week was on the topic of, yeah, I understand everybody's all worked up about the insurrection at the Capitol, but let me tell you what's going on in Moscow and Beijing and Tehran and North Korea right now. They're meeting in, in, uh, in, in classified session, deciding if anybody's in charge in the United States. I'm asking if anybody's in charge. And, and seeing it through the eyes of our foreign adversaries, they're wondering why there's no press conference either. And, and they're wondering if this is some kind of plot. And so- we, we just lived through the worst cyber attack in the history of the United States attributed to the Russians. By the way, no evidence that it's ended yet. And that's nothing compared to what Russia, Iran, North Korea, China could do cyber-wise if they decide this is the moment for them to move on us in some way, shape, or form or to, or to do an incursion into a territory they've had their eyes on, anticipating that nothing is going to happen in response from the United States. That's why this capital insurrection is so much more than just a domestic issue. The lack of press conferences is so much more than a domestic question. Our adversaries are looking at this saying no one is in charge.
2: So picking up on that, the House is poised now to impeach President Trump again, even though he's only got nine days left in office. And given that the Senate won't be back in session until January 19th, uh, there's no way to hold a trial to remove him from office while his term is still uh, going on. So the question is, should the Senate be holding a trial about Donald Trump after he leaves office when there are so many other pressing international and national issues right now, starting with the ones you just named about getting appointees confirmed at the at the Pentagon, at at the Justice Department, at Homeland Security, and dealing with not just the issues you just named, but, you know, this raging pandemic in which thousands of people are dying every day and the and and people are hurting, suffering in the economy.
3: I think the I think the Biden administration can multitask. I, I do. I like the group of people they've surrounded. Can the Senate multitask yeah, here, is the yeah, question? Yeah, I, well, here's why. First, uh, again, everything through this national security lens for me, we need to send a message not only to our own people, but to our adversaries and our allies wondering right now what the hell's going on with American democracy. We need to send a message to our grandchildren that this is unacceptable and there will be consequences. So the idea of kind of doing this, well, there's nine more days left. Well, we we got a lot of work on our table. No, 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 no. There's nothing more important than preserving democracy for the future and blocking this president from ever serving office again. You'll have a Democratic-controlled Senate. This This will move swiftly, far more swiftly than previous impeachments of this president. And I, I don't think it's going to take a lot of time to do the right thing.
0: Frank, let me ask you about, ask you to assess the current threat environment. Uh, Mike, uh, at the outset of the show, talked about members of Congress who are fearful for their lives. You know, we have members who have been accosted on airplanes and in airports. Uh, just last week, we interviewed Nancy Mace, this new South Carolina Congresswoman who said that a constituent drove all the way up from South Carolina a few days ago and essentially attacked her on the street because she was not supporting the effort to overturn the election how bad is it what has to be done to protect uh, uh, elected office holders and finally what do you what do you think will happen uh, on inauguration day and how concerned are you about the threat of violence
3: so you know every one of these, horrific incidents from, from 9-11 and, and, and moving forward and, and, and before 9-11 all caused changes in policy, posture, and protocol. Look, we created the Department of Homeland Security, a massive agency because of 9-11. We created the counterterrorism center where people from the CIA and FBI break bread and sit elbow to elbow every day. The world changed because of 9-11. And this is going to, secu- this is going to change perhaps on a lesser level, but a very visible level, the security posture of the capital region and, and the members of Congress that have to travel back and forth. So one thing you'll see, I'm sure almost immediately in the new Congress, is enhanced funding for the Capitol Police to get this right. And by the way, you know, when they get attacked, when their hair gets messed up, suddenly they'll be very interested in increasing the budget for the Capitol Police because it's it's now about them. So you're going to see enhanced security around virtually every member of Congress. You know, right now, the way this works is the member has to either have active threats um, or raise their hand and say, pretty please, can I have a detail on my way home? I think you're going to see that policy change. I, I think you're going to see Capitol Police details traveling w- with every member. And I think sadly, you're going to see sad-looking security around our nation's capital moving forward. Now, you know, the White House does it pretty well. It's pedestrian-only right in front of the the White House. There's very secretive, covert things going on that, you know, you can't see in terms of snipers and and other uh, efforts to repel an attack. It's done well, but it's sad. But we're, we're headed in that direction. With regard to the inauguration, the good news is it will be declared a national security special event, that means the entire panoply of the U.S. government, three-letter agencies are involved. And by the way, a note here on the intelligence issues about the Capitol, that event, that ratification of the Electoral College vote should have been declared, based on available intelligence, a national security special event. But guess who makes that declaration? It comes from the White House. So, you know, that we do that declaration every year for the Super Bowl. If we can secure a football game and we can't secure a vote to ratify the Electoral College, we got a problem on our hands. So inauguration, good news, national security special event, everything that I can talk to you about and the things I can't talk to you about will be deployed. And you'll see a perimeter like you've never seen before, a lockdown. You're not going to see high school bands in grandstands, I don't think. And that was in place because of the COVID, the COVID virus concerns in the first place. So we can do physical security when we want to. We do it every year for the Super Bowl, for Fourth of July fireworks. God darn it, uh, we can do it for an inauguration.
2: You mentioned that uh, Jeff Rosen, the acting attorney general, has not been out there conducting press briefings, letting the public know what's going on, leaving it to others. But we also haven't heard or seen FBI Director Chris Wray. Should he be out there giving briefings about this, telling the public what the FBI is doing? And secondly, uh, do you expect he's going to stay in this? Yeah,
3: I, I think this is a strategy. I, there's a couple of things. Very practically speaking, he's running a national crisis right now, and, and I get that. And and so if he becomes the voice of this national crisis, that is pro and con. I'm going to tell you politically that I my gut tells me that there's something else going on, which is my sources tell me that virtually every day they walk into the Hoover building on Pennsylvania Avenue wondering if this is the day, this has been going on for about two years, by the way, if this is the day that Ray gets fired. So now suddenly you put him up front, right? We're kicking ass, taking names. We've, you know, it's already broken that they they talked over a dozen badasses, right? He's been on the Hill previously saying white hate groups are the number one threat, right? And it incurred the wrath of Trump immediately. I think part of this is, we need Chris Ray on the job for the next two weeks, and we can't get him fired. And by the way, I agree with that, but somebody's got to get out. It should be Rosen and brief us twice a day as they would with any crisis, and that's not happening. With re- and, and then with regard to whether he stays on or not, this is interesting. Biden has publicly said, I'm, don't worry, if, if Ray gets fired, I believe in the 10-year term of the director. And by the way, I'm a staunch advocate of that. We cannot politicize the FBI position. However, comma, if this thing gets blamed on the FBI, people calling this an FBI, I've seen I've seen a couple of TV hosts on the network that I work for bashing the FBI, not knowing what they're talking about. And so if this becomes we have to fire Chris Ray. big mistake, by the way. Um, so I think there's a lot of politics going on here.
2: You've got, uh, as we close out this uh, this interview, you've got a, a new book. I see it in the background behind you, The FBI Way. Uh, you want to tell us about it?
3: I do. In a, in a nutshell, this book is something I, I thought I'd never do. I, I've written a book about the FBI inside. I was For parts of my career, I was in charge of various elements of the internal affairs of the FBI. And here's what I learned. The FBI operates at an exceptionally high level of excellence, especially when it matters the most, like right now in this country. I absorbed that after 25 years inside the organization. My message is you don't have to spend 25 years inside the FBI to take away the leadership lessons of identifying what matters most to you, your organization, and your country, and operating at that level of excellence. I've distilled it down to seven Cs. I call it the FBI way. I think values and leadership are needed more than ever before in our country. That's what the book's about.
0: Probably a, a story that needs to be told right now after four years of our current president uh, bashing the FBI and many other institutions. Not to say the FBI is uh, infallible, because Mike and I have covered many <laughs> controversies over the years at the FBI. But, spend uh,
2: half our career so,
3: so look, so, writing so about uh, screw-ups by the if FBI. Anybody, but, if anybody's looking for a book that says the FBI is perfect, this ain't the book, right? And, and I, will, okay. I will tell you, you know, letting a little bit out. Comey and Strzok do not fare well in my book. And so I talk about one of the seven C's is credibility. Credibility doesn't mean having to be perfect. It means having to be passionate about getting it right. I I think you'll see some interesting things. And by the way, stories approved by the FBI that have never been cleared before for publication uh, illustrating.
2: Okay, well, uh, we're going to read it and have you back. We
0: love to have you on the show. So we will have you back on to talk about the book in a more fulsome way. Stay All safe. Right. Take Thanks, care,
2: Frank.